0: Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pittownchurch.com. Uh, hey everyone, my name is Josh and I'm going to be leading us through tonight's Bible passage. Um, so it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 to 15. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may be also displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believed and therefore speak. For we know that one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, hello, every person. It is uh, great to see you all here. My name's Craig, I'm one of the ministers, and uh, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how you have treated us. You are kind and gracious and generous, and Father, we thank you for your word and your kindness in providing it for us. Father, we ask now as we come to look at this passage that you would help us that we would understand what your word says, that we would see what it means, but more than that, that we would lean on it, that we would value it, that we'd build our lives on it. And Father, we pray that in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. you ever said to yourself, while well, you're doing something and, and it's not working out the way that you kind of hoped that it would, and have, you, have the words ever come out, why is everything so difficult? You know, you're maybe putting some IKEA furniture together and you consider yourself a bit of a master of the Allen key. And this time, though, something's gone wrong. They haven't drilled the holes properly. There's something that's not quite straight. And you just, it's like, why does this have to be so difficult? Or perhaps you kind of look around everyone else and they're just killing all their exams and they're doing so well and it's such a struggle for you, but it seems so easy for everyone else and you just think to yourself, why is everything so difficult? Maybe you encounter a small technical problem with your computer that's just going to take a quick fix, just need to quickly update the iOS, should be no problem but suddenly you're, you're right down the rabbit hole. It's taking like ages. You're, you need to then update all your software. Suddenly you're like formatting hard drives and you're calling all your nerd friends to help you figure out what's going on. This should have been so easy. Why is everything so hard? Maybe you need to just quickly close an account you know, like a bank account perhaps, or an insurance account, or you're going to switch internet providers. And it should just be quick and simple and easy. Just a quick phone call, make that happen. No, you're on the phone for like 45 minutes. They requiring that you send them your previous passport and, uh, you know, hand typed letter that you need to fax them on a fax machine. You're like, I don't even... Why is everything so hard? Why I I don't even know a person who owns a fax machine. I haven't typed a letter for ages. Why does everything have to be so difficult? Why do I have to write a letter like it's World War I? Dear my internet provider, I feel like it is time for us to part ways. Although I have appreciated your providing of the internet, I do feel like your prices are exorbitant compared to the download speeds you are providing. Furthermore, we have talked previously on the telephone and this letter is surplus to requirements. Yours sincerely, Lieutenant Craig A. Hamilton. You know, why does it have to be so hard? Why do things need to be so difficult? And then, you know, you're doing all these things. Life is harder than it needs to be. And maybe you then have the thought, maybe maybe I'm the problem. Maybe this is a me problem. Maybe maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe, Maybe I should just give up. Maybe I should just quit. Why is everything always so difficult? But then, on the other hand, right, there are other things where you know they're going to be hard and you do them on purpose. There are some things, all kinds of things, that we do and we do hard things in order to have other things that we can't have any other way. Right? You do the uni course so that you can be qualified for the job. You do the training course so that you can be eligible for the promotion. You train at the gym and you go running all the time so that you can complete the marathon. Sometimes we do hard things so that we can have other things that we couldn't have any other way. And that's normal life. And Maybe you feel like you're here and you've been trying to follow Jesus and you've been trying to have a ministry to your friends and the people that you work with and, and the people in your family and the people that you live with. And, and it's, it's hard and it's, it's challenging and it's difficult. And maybe you feel like maybe it's a me thing. Maybe, maybe I'm doing it wrong. And then you might be tempted to think that maybe if you just perhaps tweaked the message a little bit, maybe if you just made it a bit more palatable, maybe if you just sort of backgrounded the things that people find a bit offensive and foregrounded other things, then maybe it'd be better. Or perhaps even you're kind of tempted rather than tweaking things, maybe it's that you're Tempted just to stop speaking at all and maybe just give up and, and, and quit the whole thing. And it's into that feeling, into that experience that Paul speaks in today's passage. And what I'm hoping that we'll see are some of the reasons why God has actually made it so hard on purpose. And that as we see some of those reasons that perhaps they'll help us and inspire us and motivate us to not give up, particularly when things get challenging and difficult. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and if you've been around for the last few weeks, you'll, uh, you'll remember that the Corinthians were obsessed with the external and the beautiful and the strong and the now and the impressive, and that another group of preachers had come in to the city. And and they were everything that the Corinthians loved. They were impressive. They were beautiful. They were strong. They were eloquent. They probably wore white suits. They probably had nice teeth. They were just strong and powerful and impressive and so this other team arrives and they were peddling a much more Corinthian gospel. They had a a message of strength for the strong, for the impressive and they promised triumph now rather than suffering and Paul He deeply, deeply loves this church and he's doing everything he can to persuade them away from these counterfeit preachers with their counterfeit ministry and their counterfeit message. And they, you know, were claiming so much, promising so much, but they didn't love the Corinthians at all. And what they were promising was all fake and all phony. And Paul wants this church to see that if they walk away from him, if they walk away from Paul and his ministry and his message and his Jesus, if they walk away from all of that, then they'll be left with nothing, no hope in the coming judgment. So we're in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you have that open still. And the two big questions in this chapter are, number one, if the new covenant, the new arrangement that we talked about last week, if, if it's so glorious and so bright and so transformational, so powerful, so much better then Paul, why do so many people reject your message? Number one. And then the other question is, if, if your ministry is so powerful and transformational and better, why is it so unimpressive? Why is it so powerless and so weak? Why do you suffer so much, especially compared to the other team who have just arrived? And so in this chapter, Paul just unloads the heavy artillery, right? He just he just unleashes. And it's pretty much like every verse in chapter 4 could be its own just slogan. You could just imagine every verse like on a mug at Rong that you'd buy for your mum. It's like, it's like he just starts tweeting for a whole chapter. It's like someone said to him, say something profound in 140 characters or less. And he was like, yeah, okay, hold my donkey and just started and did a whole chapter. But at the same time as that, right, it is very kind of Twitter-esque but at the same time, it's also very tightly argued. He's he's making points. He's not just saying thoughts. So let's jump into verse one, chapter four, verse one. And the first word of the first verse is therefore. And when you see a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. Like back at school, right? When you would write an essay and you said, you know, like, blah, 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 all these things. And then you'd say, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, having said all of that, in light of all that, in conclusion, therefore, blah. So what is this therefore, therefore? Well, he kind of tells us in the verse, he says, therefore since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy but what does that mean well here's what's happening this is the conclusion to all that Paul has so far talked about in chapters one to three and the big questions of those opening chapters were number one can you trust me and number two am I adequate for this They're the two things he's been talking about. And his answer to both of those has been a resounding yes. Yes, you can. And yes, I am. So he says in chapter one, you can trust me because I'm imitating Jesus. And then chapter two, he says, we are adequate for this because A, God speaks through us in the gospel. And he says, you Corinthians are the proof of that. If you want evidence that my ministry is legit and that it can be successful. You are the evidence. I came and I spoke about Jesus to you and you were converted. If you want my CV, you are my CV, he says to them. And then he says, also, B, we're adequate because our message brings real transformation. We saw that last week. This new covenant, this new arrangement is better, brighter than the old arrangement. The sun covenant is brighter than the torch covenant, if you were here last week. And and this new covenant brings real transformation. He says, we're adequate, not because we ourselves are anything special. We're adequate, we're competent because God has made us competent. And so, Paul's summary of all of this that he said so far is in verse one We have this ministry because we were shown mercy. Right? That's the summary. We have this ministry, not because we're awesome in ourselves, but because we've been shown mercy. God has made us awesome, He's made us adequate. And so, then, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, he says, because of all of that, because we've been shown mercy and we have this ministry, therefore, we don't give up. And that's what he wants to say to them. We don't give up. And so what do we do instead? What's the other option? Well, he says, verse 2, instead we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. Right? In every culture, in every society, in every time, there are parts of what God's word says that everyone loves, and there are other parts that people don't love. And it keeps changing. What people love and what they don't love keeps changing and it changes quick. For example, right, maybe 20 years ago, it was all about there is no universal truth. You can't say that there's truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. And, and your truth's not my truth. And my truth's not your truth. You do you. I'll do me. There is no universal truth. But then now we've kind of changed and what's true for me is universally true. If it's true for me, you have to acknowledge it, you have to agree with it, you have to approve of it. My truth is now universal truth. So we quite like universal truth now, but now it's like my truth is true for everyone, but your truth is also true for everyone as well. And we're trying to work out how that works and and what that's supposed to look like. But that's where we are. We like universal truth now. Or another example, maybe ten years ago, five years ago, uh, excommunicating people was a bad thing. Yuck! You don't want to do that. Excommunicate people—that's hurtful and harmful. You'd never do that. Whereas now for the last like five years or so, we think it's quite a good thing. We think it's a, like, it's a good idea. We call it cancelling people, right? And it's called cancel culture, but that's just our rebranding of excommunication. It's the same thing, but now we suddenly think it's good, but in a few years, perhaps maybe 10 years, it'll change again and we'll think it's bad. It keeps changing. That's the point. Our culture keeps on changing, but God's word stays the same. And so people might like this part, and they might hate this part, but the time will come, five years, ten years, who knows, the things that we used to like, everyone will hate, and the things that we used to hate, everyone will think is good. And it will just keep on changing, which means that it's not our job to try and change the message so that people will like it. It's too hard. It keeps changing. We won't be able to keep up. It's not how it works. We don't, Paul says, distort the word of God to make it something that it's not. He says, instead, commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. That's our job. Which brings us to the first big question that Paul's asking, or that Paul's perhaps kind of like answering. Paul, if you display the truth so openly, and if your ministry is so glorious and so powerful and so bright and so superior, and if you're adequate because God speaks through you in the gospel, then how come so many people reject you and they reject your message. Why is that? If you were here last week, you'll remember that Paul was uh, talking about Moses back in the olden days and how when he would come down the mountain or come out from meeting with God, his face would shine with reflected glory. And so he used to put a veil over so that the Israelites didn't have to look at the reflected glory and it would freak them out. And he says, Paul says, it was kind of like, there was a veil over their hearts. And instead of being transformed more and more into God's image, their hearts were actually hardened instead. And Paul comes back to this idea here in chapter 4. How come people keep rejecting what you say if it's so great and so powerful and so bright and so glorious? Is, Is that evidence that you're not adequate? People keep on rejecting it. Is that proof that it's actually a you problem, Paul? And Paul says, verse 3, But if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, if you're awake, right, and, and your eyes are open and the world is pitch black darkness, then there's two main possible options as to what's going on. Option number one is it's either nighttime or the other option is you've gone blind, right? If I'm walking around and it's, it's like lunchtime and the sun is shining and it's hot and the world is pitch black. That's not a sun problem. That's a me problem. I've, I've gone blind. And so Paul says the message that he proclaims is the message of the good news of the glory of Jesus, which is why he says, verse 5. For we are not proclaiming ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the, of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We don't proclaim ourselves but Jesus as Lord. I don't proclaim Craig as Lord. It's not about me. It's about him. He is where the power is and where the beauty is and where the glory is. He is the treasure. Craig is not the treasure. You are being transformed into his likeness. You're not being transformed into Craig's likeness. Imagine that, yuck. Everyone in the world being transformed into my likeness. How horrible. He says, our hearts were hard and blind, but God has overcome darkness before, right? Back at the very start when it was just darkness and God used his words and said, let there be light and there was light. He's done it. This is what he does. And in the same way, Paul says, God opens the blind eyes of our hearts to see the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus. This is what Paul has said the whole time, right? God speaks through us in the gospel. God's word overcomes darkness. It has since the very start, since Genesis chapter one, and he's still doing it. He overcomes the blindness of our hearts and he does it in the gospel. Verse 4, the light of the the gospel of the glory of Christ. Or verse 6, the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus. And so if that's how God opens blind eyes of people's hearts, then that's what we have to proclaim Which is why he says, verse 5, we're not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. The gospel is glorious. The new arrangement is a sun covenant, not a torch covenant. If you were here last week, right? It's bright as. But it doesn't matter how bright the light is. If you're blind, then you won't see it but God opens blind eyes and he does it by speaking, by using his words and says, let there be light. Which brings us to question two. Question one was, why do so many people reject this glorious, powerful, bright sun covenant? And Paul's answer is, if people can't see the sun, that's not a sun problem. That's a you problem. That's a blindness problem. But God can open blind eyes. Question two is if this new arrangement, this new covenant, this new ministry, if it's so bright and so powerful and so transformational, then why are you, Paul, so weak and constantly suffering? Why aren't you triumphant? And the first part of the answer is in verse seven. He says, Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. In the ancient world, clay jars were ordinary, fragile, affordable, disposable, mass-produced, unexceptional. Paul says he's a clay jar. And this treasure, the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus, this infinitely valuable treasure, God has chosen to entrust it in weak, fragile, easily broken, unexceptional clay jars. Paul is a clay jar. I am a clay jar. You are a clay jar. Clay jars were the plastic bags of the ancient world. You know how sometimes the um, like local council will leave you those green bags for your kitchen scraps? They're like made of potato or something. And you put, you put your kitchen scraps in them and they like rip easy and they smell and like, you put them in the compost. Paul says, he's a green bag. I'm a green bag, you're a green bag. And God has chosen to put this infinitely valuable treasure inside a green bag. Why would he do that? Well, he says in the verse, we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Again, it's not about you, it's not about me. It's not that you can open people's minds if you, were just, if you could just be smart enough. It's not that you're so persuasive, that I'm so eloquent, that your rhetoric is so powerful, that my charisma is so affecting that people will be persuaded and their eyes will be opened. It's not about me, it's not about you. There are no growth group leaders in this church, no kids' church teachers, no rise leaders, no glow leaders, no scripture teachers, no preachers who can change anyone's heart. No way, not possible, not happening. Every preacher, every teacher, every leader in this church is a clay jar, a green bag. The power is from God not from us. I can't change anybody's heart. I, I just proclaim that Jesus is Lord. I just say, look at this treasure. You could have it if you want. That's, that's all I do. And then God does the rest. And then having said that, Paul then lists a little short list of some of his afflictions, some of his sufferings. And he lists them like this four times in this book. And he does it here to underline his clay jar, plastic bag point. We're fragile. We're easily broken. The power's not in us. But he wants to go further because of the... the question is why is your ministry characterized by so much weakness and suffering and and lack of triumph that's that's the question and his answer is well we're green bags to show that the power is from God but it's more than that because he wants them to see that the way that God does things is by bringing life through death that's how God does things. That's what he did in Jesus. And we're kind of like a scaled down version of that. So he says in verse 10, in this kind of complicated part, he says, verse 10, we always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our, in our body." For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. It's a bit kind of complicated. The word that Paul uses here for death in verse 10 is a bit of an unusual word. What he has in mind is not just the exact moment of Jesus, you know, dying on the cross. But he has more in mind the whole course of suffering of Jesus' life that escalated and culminated in Jesus' crucifixion. He has that whole sweep of Jesus' life in his mind. In other words, it's, it's the dynamic of Jesus' ministry. It was a continual bearing the burden of suffering all the way until death and through that ministry of dying he brought life both in his own resurrection from the tomb but also our resurrection but also the spiritual life that he provides us as we put our trust in him and we're renewed and born again and we're new creations And we're transformed into his image. Life through death. And Jesus' ministry was a ministry of suffering and dying in order to bring life to others. And just like that was the pattern of Jesus' life, Paul says that's the pattern of his life too. And it should be the pattern of our life as well. That's the blueprint. And so he says in verse 12, kind of bluntly, so then death is at work in us, but life in you. That's the blueprint. But he wants to make sure that they know this isn't about just people seeing your life and observing you be a Christian and being transformed by just seeing you. That's not the way that it works. They need to see our lives and hear our message. And it's the message that is the treasure, right? It's it's the gospel that transforms people. And that's, that's why he says, verse 13, And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. And so the question was, Paul, why is your ministry characterized by so much weakness and lack of triumph? And Paul's answer is, well, because our ministry is patterned on Jesus, we proclaim a suffering crucified king who dies to bring life. And so we do a scaled-down version of that. The pattern, though, is the same. This is what legit ministry and legit leadership looks like. We believe and therefore we speak. And we suffer so that you can have life. Death is at work in us, but life in you which all sounds a bit hard. Don't you think? It all sounds a bit like, a, it's like a bit of a bummer, actually. But that's not where Paul heads. He says in verse 14, For, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that... As grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. This is not a self-pity, sad time story. This is a story that will end well. We're going to make it. The one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with him and present us with you. We're going to make it. Grace will extend to more and more people. Thanksgiving will increase. God will be glorified. This is what legit leadership and legit ministry looks like. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And so we do hard things so that we can have things that we can't have any other way. And so if you want to see more and more people experience God's grace and be transformed to treasure Jesus and be transformed by treasuring Jesus, if you want to see more and more thanksgiving be directed towards God, if if you want to see... God glorified more and more in people's lives, then this is how it happens. By speaking the truth, not distorting it or changing it, by persevering through weakness and suffering and by carrying the treasure in clay jars, carrying it in in plastic bags, pointing people to Jesus, so that this extraordinary power may be seen to be from God and not from us. And so verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the mercy that you have shown us and the mercy that you constantly provide us. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus and for the pattern of his life and the life that he has won and brought through his death. And Father, we do pray for us that you would help us, clay jars, green bags, that you'd help us in our uh, fragility and our frailness, that as we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, that you would use us to open the eyes of those who are blind, whose hearts are blind, and that through us, there would be grace extending to more and more people, and that people would thank you and glorify you more and more. Father, help us in all of this not to give up. And we pray that in Jesus' name, Amen.